0: If you would go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have them, or open your phone, we're going to be in Second Chronicles, which maybe is not the most well-known uh, book of the Bible for you, or or that uh, easy to find. If you if you go to the front of your Bibles. Uh, you can definitely find in the table of contents, 2 Chronicles, or another way, you can go to the middle, and if you move back toward the left, it's sandwiched between First and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you hit Ezra and Nehemiah, keep going left. If you go First Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, you can move to the right and find it. It's going to be 1 Chronicles um, chapter 14 and, and then chapter 16, and while you're going there, some years ago, a news organization uh, known as the Washington Post sent out a survey asking people the things that most frightened them, the things that brought the most fear to them to think about. And you want to know what those top two fears that year were that they talked about? They were public speaking and heights, public speaking and heights. And I can just say I identify with both of those things. Um, I, can, I can understand that. Most of the time, the way we deal with fear is we have this great, uh, I shouldn't call it great, but this, this tactic, uh, this tendency to uh, deal with fear in the sense that we avoid the things that scare us. That's, that's the most common way that we deal with fears, right? If we're afraid of heights, we don't choose to go rappelling or rock climbing. We avoid ledges, cliff diving, bungee jumping, wingsuiting, and skydiving. We don't do those things. Maybe none of us should do wingsuiting anyway. If we're afraid of public speaking, we avoid the public speaking classes in college. We generally don't sign up for Toastmasters, and we're probably not the first ones in a group, uh, a group project to like, jump for the role of presenter. Right? We just We have a tendency to avoid things we're afraid of. But there are times when the tactic of avoiding what we fear isn't an option. Sometimes God in his providential love and care brings us to certain situations where there is no option but to face our fears or some seemingly impossible situation. And our two passages for the sermon today show us God's people facing genuinely, genuinely fearful situations. And at least one of them must have seemed absolutely impossible to overcome. The two stories illustrate two very different tactics to take when faced with impossible or fearful situations. And before we jump into those two, let me give a little bit of background. The passages today take place during the reign of King Asa. Now, some of us may not know about King Asa, but certainly many of us have heard of King David and Solomon. Well, after King Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And so three kings later, there's after King Solomon in the south, there was Rehoboam, his son, then Abijah or Abijam, uh, depending on the book that you're looking at, and then King Asa. So we're talking the third king from the famous King Solomon. And really, we're only talking roughly 20 years after Solomon died. So this has not been a long time. We're talking around 910 B.C., and at that time, both kingdoms had gone through terrible moments of turning away from God into idolatry. The northern kingdom definitely took the cake. It was, it was the worst in this. They kicked out Levites who would have served as priests living in the, in the northern part. They kicked them out, and then they set up idols, famously two golden calves, almost to one-up the golden calf that the people had terribly made at the base of Mount Sinai. But unfortunately, speaking of Judah, which is where Asa is today, many times Judah wasn't much better. King Rehoboam and Abijah were both unfaithful to God through abandoning his law and allowing idols and places of pagan worship to be constructed. But around 911, 910 BC, King Asa uh, took to the throne, and for the first time after the kingdom had split, Asa was described as a king who was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. We see that in 2 Chronicles 14 too. So what, is this, what does this mean that he's good and right in God's eyes? Well, we get a little more details in the verses under it, 2 Chronicles fourteen three to 6. It describes a little more about how Asa took away the foreign altars, the high places where the pagan worship was happening. He broke down pillars and poles that served as idols of the false gods. And in addition to the things he got rid of that deliberately pulled away from the people's close relationship to God, he, he commanded the people to see God and carefully obey his commandments. And remember, the commandments were God's way of keeping his rescued people living a joy-filled life in close relationship with their covenant God the one God who had rescued them and saved them from bondage in Egypt. And so this law God had given them also allowed them to be a light for other nations. And as a reward for Asa and the people's repentance and seeking after the Lord, verse 6 tells us, the Lord gave Asa peace and rest for 10 years. This is where our passage picks up today. And so for the time remaining, we're going to look at two fearful situations that God allowed his people to encounter, two anxiety-inducing scenarios that King Asa and Judah faced. In these situations, two, again, very different tactics were taken. And so we're going to peer into both of these. So this is going to be split into three parts, the first two tactics and then a word about uh, Jesus and the way he relied on the Lord. So tactic number one, actively relying on God's word brings sweet victory. Actively relying on God's word brings sweet victory. Tactic number two, relying on something besides God brings problems. Relying on something besides God brings problems. And then lastly, we're going to look at how Jesus always relied on God's word and he is our victory. So if you take nothing else away, a a big idea that everything I feel like from the text wraps around is this active reliance on God's word brings victory reliance on anything else brings problems. So active reliance on God's word brings victory reliance on anything else brings problems. So let's get started. Tactic one actively relying on God's word brings sweet victory. We're looking at again, second Chronicles chapter 14 starting in verses seven and eight. And he, King Asa, said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord, our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears. And 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So all is well in Judah. There has been this new king. He is intent on all of the people seeking the Lord, Yahweh, their God. God has blessed them with rest and peace for 10 years. And in light of this, we may be tempted to wonder, looking at verses 7 and 8, why did they build those cities, those defenses? Why did they build up this army? Isn't that counter to relying on on God and his word? And the answer is no, it's not counter to that. Let me ask you this. Should we skip doing homework and studying for tests because that wouldn't be relying on God once the day the test comes? What do you think, kids? That's not going to work out well. Let me just tell you right now. it doesn't. Or do we, do we say we're not going to practice for dance or piano or soccer or chess because we want to rely on God and his word in those big moments of the recitals or things? No, we don't say those things. Of course we don't say those things. We, we can't mistake passivity or laziness for reliance on God. That's a trick of the enemy, a trick of Satan. God has always called his people, always called them to make the best use of the time, to see their life as a vapor and our resources and opportunities as precious gifts that he has given us to steward well. So in moments of rest and peace, we thank God, we are refreshed in him, and we seek him and actively move forward in ways to further advance his work. So you might ask this, could Asa have fallen into the trap of relying on his walls, on his fortifications, on his great army instead of God? And the answer is yes, he certainly could have. Just as we can take our eyes off our provider when we look at all the provision that he's given us. We can be distracted by it, but that wasn't going on here. He repeated that the people had sought God and that God had given them not their own efforts, but God had given them peace. God had blessed them with a change of heart and a new desire to seek him. They had put away foreign gods and idols and they were seeking to follow his word. And God had further gifted them with rare extended time of peace and rest in building up their cities, fortifications, and army. And when they did this, they were making good use of the time God had given. Actively using the gifts and resources for, the kingdom, for God's kingdom work is expected and is very faithful. It's a faithful way to follow God. It's being a good steward of what is his. And we would be, we would be uh, doing something very helpful and good the more and more that we go into God's word as he gives us opportunity to dig deeper into it, it would, it would behoove us to make sure we're spending time so that we are ready when the battle comes, when fearful things and anxiety-ridden situations come upon us, that we are ready in that day for those battles. And so that is exactly in this story where we are right now. Back to the story. Here's where God in his sovereign love brings his people to a fearful, seemingly impossible test. Look at verse 9. 2 Chronicles 14 says, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men, 300 chariots, and came as far as Marishah. So imagine this scene. A million man army. I don't even barely know what a million anything looks like, but I cannot imagine a million people strapped, ready for battle, ready for war, coming at us are coming at my family or our country, plus 300 chariots. They've all come from as far away as Cush, which is modern-day Sudan, and they've come up through Gaza to a spot 35 miles from Jerusalem. This past week was not the first time the blood descendants of Abraham have witnessed a terrifying enemy come up from Gaza. At a million men, the army would have close to doubled Judah's sizable army, and it's here where Asa takes one of the few faithful pages available from his dad's witness. Asa's father, King Abijah, had stood up to an army from the northern kingdom, Jeroboam's army of Israel, that was double Judah's size, and at one point, they came up against them. They were coming up against them in front of them, and then they set up an ambush behind them, so there were people before and behind them. And the army of Judah and Abijah had cried out to God, to Yahweh, for help. And Yahweh had responded. And Yahweh came in and defeated King Jeroboam and all Jerusalem. It was a mighty, and all Israel, excuse me, it was a mighty victory. And we see three verses later why this happened. It happened because they had relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. You can see that in 2 Chronicles 13, verse 18. So now Asa takes this faithful page from his father's book in chapter 14, verse 10. It says, Asa went out to meet him, that is Zerah, the, the military commander of this million-man army, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Merisha. Notice how he's not hiding behind the walls in the fortifications. He's not... Uh, sheepishly trusting uh, some poor messenger to go out and, and do his bidding for him. He is going out and leading the army. He leaves the four to five city at Marisha to meet the enemy. And as he does, look at what he does next. This is super important. Verse 11, Asa cried out to the Lord, his God. "O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. King Asa cries out in total God-relying prayer. Look, Look deeper at this prayer. Look at all these things. He acknowledges Yahweh as their God who both loves and protects and has ultimate power and might to help in this impossible situation. He calls on Yahweh's character to justly help the weak against the strong. He cries out specifically in his prayer. He gives a specific, not a general prayer, calling out in full reliance on God. He ultimately asked God to act for his own namesake to win the battle so no one could say powerful men were able to defeat the one true living God, the Lord. Just like the great prayers we've noted earlier this year, as we've looked at different great prayers This prayer of Asa has many similar elements. It's focused on God's character and nature and name. He's the just helper of the weak. He's mighty. He is their personal God. He's totally different than any other being that exists. It's asking in faith for, again, a specific, not merely a general request. In the way that they are asking, they are going to know, did God say yes or no to their prayer? It's specific enough to know. It's asking God to act for the good of his people and the glory and fame of his name. Again, we want our prayers to be shaped and molded by these great spirit-filled prayers from God's word. But I want to focus a bit on a word in verse 11 that's really important and it's translated as rely. That word in the Hebrew literally means to lean or support oneself on. It reminds me of something that my boys know about. Maybe Caden, maybe you and Hannah, Megan did this, but the trust fall. Has anyone done the trust fall? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yes. In the trust fall, what do you do? You get up on a ledge slightly higher than where everyone else is. You turn around to them and you literally lean all your weight back, fully backwards, and you trust and you fall trusting that those beneath you are going to be there to catch you. Those that you can't even fully see anymore because you're looking the other way. That's what it means to rely on God. You are leaning your life, your entire being on the trustworthiness, the compassion, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the almighty power of Jesus and the promises of his word. Why? Why would we do this? Because he alone was God and became man. And he alone laid down his life for all who would believe in him, for you and I that have put our trust in him. He laid down his life for you and I, then rose again, relying, leaning, supporting oneself completely on God's word and his character. That is what Asa is doing in this prayer. But he didn't just say this in his head. He didn't just say it in his head and that was it. He publicly prayed. He casted himself on God and actively stepped out in faith to meet a million-man army, to lead his army to face that, actively relying on God's word. So what happened? Verses 12 and 13. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil. The Lord defeated that million man army before Asa and his people. But did you notice? Asa and the warriors of Judah. They followed God's lead and got to participate in his victory. God allowed them to take part in one of the greatest victories in world history. Think about it. They drove back an army almost twice their size, entirely out of their land, completely wiped them out. But additionally, they took home spoil that they never would have come across. They never would have experienced had God not brought them to that seemingly impossible Fearful situation and scenario, and so as we as we think about that, think about this too. Not only did they get back that spoil, but they they offered it back to God for granting them to the victory and in, in love and trust in Him. Actively relying on God's word brings sweet victory. So I'm sure some of you, somewhat in a much lesser degree felt like maybe you did a trust fall or all of us did a trust fall several weeks ago when we walked out into our community and literally went and knocked on doors to be able to go and meet our neighbors we weren't selling anything not that many of us are salespeople anyway but we simply knew God had called us to love our neighbors to get to know them and to as our mission statement talks about and our vision statement talks about we want people to be able to see Jesus, to be able to show Jesus to those in our neighborhood. And so by God's grace, our reliance on God, at least for me, and I think for many others, grew in that moment, and seeds of the gospel were planted. And in continued reliance on God, we'll continue to plant seeds and water some of those seeds that we already planted. And by the Spirit's power, we'll be able to see our neighbors have the joy of knowing and growing in Christ. As they are shown him again and again and again through our words and through our actions. Actively relying on God's word brings sweet victory. But there's another story I'm going to very briefly hit because our time is short. And another tactic that can be taken in fearful scenarios. This is relying on something besides God. And where it brings us or where it brings any of us is to problems. Tactic two is essentially relying on anything else besides God and his word. And here's the deceptive thing. It can honestly look sometimes like it works, like it's good. It appears like it brings victory, but in reality, it always brings trouble. The victory never lasts, and it makes us miss out on something that God would show us of his character and his presence. So fast forward now in the storyline, 21 years. In between this Lord's mighty victory he's brought for the people of Judah over this million-man army, and the people, drew closer to God. They were renewed in their covenant relationship with him. They saw many from the northern kingdom of Israel actually come into Judah because they saw God was truly at work there, and they wanted to be a part of it. And in this time, they worked toward unity and purity as God's people, renewed in their covenant relationship with God. But now 21 years later, this is during Asa's 36th year as king, the northern kingdom of Israel, the king named Baasha, builds a city right on the border of Judah and begins to go up against him. And so what does Asa do to respond to this new distressing moment? Instead of remembering God's past faithfulness and character and crying out to him specifically for his glory— Asa chooses a very different tactic that any of us at any point can easily fall into. He took the silver and the gold from the Lord's house and his own house. First Kings 15 tells us he had actually given to God's house and now he takes it back and he gives it to this king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. And he tells him, hey, he essentially bribes him, break your covenant with our with our enemies, Israel, and and go against them and protect us. And so at first, by all initial accounts, the strategy completely worked. Listen to what happened. Verses four and six tell us Ben Hadad, king of Syria, listened to Asa. He turned his army against Asa's enemy, king Baasha of Israel, Asa was actually able to dismantle this fortified city that his enemy had made right there on the border. And they even used that, the fortifications of that, to build two other cities that could be their own strongholds within Judah. So in one sense, this feels like a complete win from every angle, from every scenario. But the, and the world would consider it as such, but not God. Verses 7 and 9 lay out the heart behind everything wrong that King Asa had done. Hanani, a seer, or a prophet of Yahweh, went to Asa and said these words. This is chapter 16, verses 7 to 9. Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. You have done foolishly, for from now on you will have wars. So, qu- three quick problems of taking this tactic of basically relying on yourself, your resources, or others instead of God. In this case, the Lord his God noticed and was displeased by Asa changing his reliance from, Yahweh, the God of the universe, the the Lord of his people, Israel and Judah. And God noticed that he took it and placed it on some earthly king. First issue. Second is he missed out. Did you notice that he said, because you didn't rely on the Lord, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. You might be thinking, what? The army of the king of Syria? He was going against Israel. God had bigger plans than what Asa could even imagine in the moment because he's so caught up in what his problems are. He's so caught up in the fearful thing, the anxiety-induced thing. God was going to give him much greater victory than he could have even envisioned, just like he did the first time. And he completely missed it. He missed out on the reward of witnessing and experiencing the Lord's strong support for those whose heart is blameless. Another way of saying this awesome promise that the NASB states is this the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Remember the trust ball illustration? You're completely leaning on God and placing your hope in Him. The idea is the God of the universe has literal, think through this, has literal, all seeing eyes. That are running all over as we see from Revelation and Zechariah, we hear both of this more in detail, revealed to us his, that his spirit is working and they're, he's not looking, this is not an all-seeing eye, like the Lord of the Rings looking to strike someone, right? This is an all-seeing eye looking for someone who's totally dependent on God, totally saying, I have nothing else but you to get me through what I'm facing and to do anything of value in my life. He's looking for people like that. And then he runs in the God of the universe to give strong support, to offer his help for you in that situation. That's what we're talking about here. So again, not that fearful eye from the Lord of the Rings looking to strike, but an eye looking to come and help and build up his people that are looking and relying on him with this all powerful Might. Asa missed all that blessing that God had shown before that he was going to do beyond what he could see. Problem three the natural consequences of Asa's poor choice of reliance when he looked to buy favor from this big king and get him to go against his enemy and all these things. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That was a lie here. I think many times it's still a lie because that guy came against him. For generations after that, over and over again, there was war in the future with Syria. So relying on something besides God brings problems. And real quickly, real quickly, three quick principles I want to mention. One is what works isn't always what's right. What works isn't always what's right. Asa got the strongest ruler, maybe on the planet at the time, to listen and covenant with him, but that ruler turned on him quickly. And we can easily, when we utilize resources over and above our reliance on God, those resources either crumble or they turn against us quickly. What you invest in, number two, shows what you trust in at times. Asa invested God's treasure he earned for him to buy worldly help. From a foreign leader and later physicians. He got sick later after this, and he just spent money on physicians. He never turned to God for help. He bribed the world's power instead of relying on his heavenly protector. And three, past success does not predict future results, but should remind us to rely on God. One of the things that Pastor Cody mentioned that we're gonna be able to do next weekend is gonna be great, and I just say Be preparing your hearts, thinking through this. Is we're going to be sharing Ebenezer stories next week of the great things God has done in the history of our church in the last 20 years. And so those stories are not helpful if we only look at them as okay, God did this. Now we can always expect all these things. but we're relying on things outside of God. No, they they should be stories that show, okay, God was faithful here and here and here when we desperately needed him and relied on him. God was faithful and he was true and he was good. And we all the more need to rely on him now. And at all times and things going forward, we must rely on God and see and trust that he is gonna be the faithful God that He has shown himself to be. The third point, quickly, third point, Jesus always relied on God's word, and he is our victory. I want you to consider in Jesus' life, maybe the biggest, one of the biggest moments of temptation, right, is the temptation in the wilderness. And think about this. It was set up in a time where he was maybe one of the most vulnerable of his life. Okay, sometimes temptations, we can fall in these scenarios, right? We can fall into temptation when there's been a great... Spiritual victory or a high moment. We can fall into temptation if we're alone. We can fall into temptation easily if we're hungry, and we can fall into temptation easily if we're tired. Jesus had just literally gotten up out of the water of baptism, had God the Father with heavens open say, This is my son, I'm well pleased in him. The Spirit had fallen on him. I mean, can there be a bigger moment? And then John the Baptist. The greatest prophet in the last 400 years, the only prophet, says, This is the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. So it's a really high moment, right? And Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's alone, except he's with animals in the wilderness, and he's probably not getting good sleep. All these things are working against Jesus, right? Satan himself comes to tempt him. And what does Jesus do? He relies on the word of God, right? every answer he gives to Satan, his defense and his offense to come against Satan with the sword of the spirit, the word of God is his word. He relies on it and he knows it and he uses it. The promises of God, he believes and remembers and lives out. But even more than this, Jesus is the word of God himself, right? He knew what he came on earth to do. He came on earth to to die and to be lifted up, to glorify God on the cross, and then with the resurrection. So listen to some of Jesus' last words as he knows he's facing the cross. He's facing a fearful moment, and he says these words. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will again. So how did Jesus face things? He knew the promises of scripture. He knew that he in particular was fulfilling those promises and he knew what was coming. The joy set before him as Hebrews 12, two tells us. And so that don't, don't leave here thinking that the goal from this sermon should be to look deep inside you realize there's areas where you haven't been reliant. You need to grow in that and you need to look to Jesus and other examples to do that. Look, there's areas we do need to grow. That is true. We need to grow in reliance to God and certainly in holiness, and we can make every effort toward that. And the Bible tells us those things. But the biggest thing I want you to see is we are to grow in reliance in, in these things. Our, our hope is not in our efforts. Our hope is what Jesus, as the word of God, accomplished in our place for us on the cross in the empty tomb. It's it's not about our effort of achieving what's lacking, but in Christ, accomplishing what we never could have on our own. Actively relying on God's word brings sweet victory through Jesus, the word of God, brings sweet victory over sin and Satan and hell and death itself. So we have to start, what did Jesus do to make us right with God and to give us this victory and from there yes we can grow in this can grow in these things but we must look to God and rely on him let me pray for us